and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Morning everyone um, and welcome. So today's episode is actually coming from day one of UK lockdown for those of you in the UK. So um, it'll be interesting to see what this morning brings up for us. I'm thrilled to be um, joined by Julia Fairfax. Morning Julia. Hi, well good morning Jenny. Morning. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself actually because I think probably what I say isn't going to give justice to what you do. So tell us who you are Julia and what brings you to talk to us today. Okay so um, thank you so much for having me on your show by the way. It's an honour to be here. Um, For the last 20 years I've specialised in bioenergetic medicine so I'm going to give you a little bit of background so you understand how I operate and why I do what I do. So I'm an ex-corporate analyst and um, I was in uh, competitive intelligence for the pharmaceutical industry. And then I was working with Bosnian refugees and damaged teenagers on the side. And then I ended up running, uh, helping to run the Cambridge Business College. I was director of studies there. And I ended up uh, being rushed into hospital and told I had six months to live from ovarian cancer and it was my wake-up call so as this junior doctor delivers the death sentence at 8 30 on a monday morning this voice from within me from here within my solar plexus said very loudly louder than the the doctor's um voice that i wasn't going to die because i hadn't yet done what i was here to do and at which point i felt a voice from up here my ego voice kick in going what do you mean? I'm terribly important and I've done this, this and this and all that rubbish. And so I listened to the voice from within and was shown how I had ended up in this situation with this uh, verdict. And they were absolutely right. I was shown um, that there wasn't time to remove all the tumours, but there was time to clear the cancer. So I just did what I was told to do. Bearing in mind at this point, I did not believe in a bigger picture I did I thought it was just you know how could there be a god with all the suffering in the world and you know all of that stuff and so it was a real crash course and a massive wake-up call and so I did what I was shown to do and sheer desperation as well I didn't want to die and my specialist came in mid-morning and the one of the perks I had was for Bupa he transferred me to the Bupa hospital saying he was going to operate on me that night because he had a feeling about me. Those were his exact words. So all day long, I do what I'm told to do, cleaning my body, cleaning the cells, cleaning um, all of the memories and the trauma that had led to the situation I was now in and lifestyle choices, taking full responsibility and accountability. Um, I was operated on that night and... It was worse than he'd thought. It was a seven-hour operation, but managed to somehow sort me out. So the next, no, two, three days later, all of the tumours came back from being tested and all the cancer had gone. Oh, yeah, and the other thing was I died on the operating table. And like everyone who's had an NDE, you all go back to the light and it's just pure divine love. And I was looking down on my body with, you know, mask and drips and I had drains in my gut so my guts were open because the poisoning was so bad in my body and I was back in the divine light and I was looking down on my body going and and I could hear 
voices, guides around me going, you know, you don't have to go back. And then I could feel the, my specialist and, and the head nurse who was standing either side of my body and putting their hands here, like pouring loving, go calling me back. I could then feel how hard it was to hold love on earth because of all of the interference and everything that goes on here, all the fear and the everything. And as soon as I felt that, I was like, no, 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 I have to go back because I, like nearly all of us, had forgotten there was a bigger picture. I'd forgotten what we are and why we're here. And as soon as I made that decision, I was back in my body. And uh, it took a long time to recover because I was broken, effectively. But I did, and I made a full and lasting recovery. And then I, I went into uh, survivor's guilt because my father had died of cancer and the great love of my life had died of a brain tumour. And I was like, how, why did I live and they die? So um, I was blessed from my work. I'd saved a lot of money. And this took me on a five-year journey to explore how, how we heal and why we don't. And on every level, this took me into uh, the Himalayas where I studied energy medicine. I studied bioenergetic stuff in terms of yoga, meditation, um, and then discovered that they were not just physical. We have energy anatomy, which is our chakras and our meridians and our subtle bodies, all of which has now been scientifically proven. I did this solely to heal myself and to understand more, really. And I came back to the West and then I went to see my specialist to get checked out. This was about three, three years later. And at the end of the day, he said that if it hadn't have been for him who'd operated on me, he wouldn't have believed this was possible because I'd regrown my ovaries. And he then turned around to me and said, look, whatever you're doing, you've got to keep doing this and you've got to do it to help others. And if any medic anywhere in the world ever gives you a hard time, you send them to me. So being, um, I like to have T's and I's and crossed and do things properly. So I then thought, well, I need an actual professional qualification to step forward into this new world. So I then found a two-year course in crystal therapy that actually turned out to be tougher than my degree in PPE, um, involving writing four essays a month for two years and studying, 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 as well as practice. And at the end of the two years, I still wasn't intending to actually work in this world because I felt I'd be an imposter because I'm not a medic, you know? And the day after I qualified, uh, I, I'm, I've, horses have been a big part of my life all the way through ever since I was tiny. And a lovely point-to-pointing chap I rode out for a friend of mine. She had been the guinea pig on my course and one of my guinea pigs. And she phoned me up going, I need you and the crystals to come and see Max now. And I was like, phone the vet. She was like, no. She turned up at my door. She was like, no, no, you crystals in the car now. And you don't argue with this friend of mine. So next thing I know, we're down the yard. And bearing in mind, I've been around horses in my life and I've never seen anything like it. He was like paralysed to the spot. And I just took one look at him and just went, you know, phone the vet. And she went, no, do your thing. So I'd never treated a horse before. So I just, but I've been taught how to tune in. I've been taught how to douse. I've been taught how to listen. I've been given all the skill set needed to do this work. So I did what I was shown to do. At the end of the treatment, he looked less worried, but he still wasn't moving. And I said to Kirsty, look, if he's no better in 12 hours, this was Saturday night, you've got to call the vet. And anyway, next morning, there was a hammering on my door at about eight o'clock in the morning. And she was just like, what the hell have you done to my horse? 
She said, I was so worried I went down at daylight because it was a June day. She said, I went down at 4.35 o'clock. He was trying to jump out over the top of his door. She said, I've just come back from a two and a half hour hack. Anyway, this then led into her asking me to go into a race yard in Newmarket to treat a horse of her father's. Obviously, I can't reveal any information because it's all confidential, even though it's nearly 20 years ago, it still remains confidential. Suffice to say that the outcome was it ended up with me working with this trainer for four years. And then that led me into working with, because my background is um, eventing and dressage, um, I was very blessed to train with uh, Lars Ederholm and Yogi Bryson and then with Henry Locke and the Stano Stallions Grand Prix stuff. Um, so that then led me into working with various individuals and horses from WEG level down to Shetland ponies. Um, and then um, because of my thing with the cancer, the universe then began to send me cancer patients and we were able to enable them to make remarkable recoveries in many cases. And so obviously we, we, we're all finite here and sometimes my role is to actually help people leave with no unfinished business. But in the majority of cases, it's to help people come back and the same with horses. And what convinced me most was the horse work because bearing in mind, I'm an ex very serious skeptic about all of this stuff. And it was with, because as humans, we can convince ourselves that pink is purple and blue is green and up is down and left is right. But horses don't work like that. And it was one of the first cases, major cases I had, and it was, it was unbelievable. This was a, a show jumping and one day eventing pony, very good pony. And she had gone from show jumping to, to eventing and it was her first major competition and it was a big water complex. And she jumped into water and panicked and spun and um, detached her tendon sheath on her off hind which then contracted into a hard calcified lump of the size of a table tennis ball on her cannon bone. So she couldn't even wait there. She was on her toe. And the vet obviously was like, well, we've got to shoot her. And her owner happened to work with my sister, the mother, and came into work and was, you know, obviously devastated, going, we're going to have to have our pony shot. And Joe was, my sister was like, call my sister. So I go and see this pony and my first reaction is, no, the vet's absolutely right. You know, as a horsewoman, it's like, there's no way you can come back from that. And, but the dowsing said that she could, and all, this was where I was shown that what we think has no impact if we're meant to recover bigger picture stuff. So all the way through the treatment, my mind is going, no way, no way can this pony recover. And at the end of the treatment, again, there was no real visible difference. She looked a bit less grumpy. And I also worked with water-based remedies because water holds memory. Amazing Japanese analyst called Masaru Moto proved this many years ago. Anyway, so I made a remedy to be applied to her leg and one to be put in her food and then taught them how to bandage a leg properly. And uh, I was due, to, I, I had to come, I would see when I, they next need to see me and it was to come back a week later. So I come back a week later this mare was weight-bearing. And the owner said, wait till you take the bandage off. This lump was having been seriously like table tennis size, uh, ball size, was barely discernible. Um, so the treatment continued for about another three months and then she was clear, she was cool. And I said, look, get her checked out by the vet. And the vet came out because her jabs were due anyway. And he was like, weren't we supposed to shoot that? And she said, yeah, but, you know, obviously you've been referred, Julie, been referred to you and you gave permission for her to come in and treat. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. 
and he said I've got the mobile scanner in the car can I scan that leg and he went and the other went is of course they couldn't find even a a tiny bit of scar tissue it was like a whole new tendon sheath and that for me was the proof of that I needed that it, this stuff is real and and it went from there so I'm I'm very blessed to do this work and that's just a kind of nutshell really yeah I mean wow I could just listen to you telling your stories for hours and hours but we've only got one <laughs> so uh wow just incredible and and you know the most amazing part of this is so many of us were skeptics I was I was the same hard-nosed corporate bitch that's the you know quite frankly that's what I was <laughs> Uh, and, I, and you had to be actually because to live in that environment you have to teflon up you have to kind of there's no room for that kind of stuff okay it was changing a little bit perhaps in some places but essentially there's there's no room for what i call waft you know it's like crack on go with it there is always something sorry rock viola with lipstick <laughs> yes that's it or the best one the boss that i had years ago gave me a book called um well she gave it to me i gave it back to her and said no thank you it was called um nice girls don't get the corner office and at, that was the point where i went i don't think i want to do this <laughs> anyway so but what i want to know is you know what i was getting to with that was um there are going to be lots of skeptics watching this and going oh no here we go she's mentioned crystals oh off on another planet but the amazing thing is, is that you, you've said, you know, no, I was in that background. I was that skeptic. I was there too, you know, and there's always, there's something that comes along. For me, it was a horse, a particular horse that came along that, that took me down that, the path of understanding it, you know, just, just embracing it. You might not, you might not understand it. Like I still don't understand it, but I at least accept that oh, no, I there's something it. about it. You understand I, it. I know you really do. I had to do, because of being a trained analyst, I had to get my my head had to get around it because otherwise I'd never be able to do it because for me it was just like man this is all a load of hippie bullshit and I need to understand the science behind this to be able one for me my mind to accept it and two to be able to explain it to others because there are way too many people in the natural alternative complementary whatever you want to call it medical field who are a bunch of shysters and who are wafty, airy-fairy bullshitters, and I want to shoot most of them because they give real medicine a bad, rap, a bad rap and a bad reputation. So I went deep into the science, deep into the study, because being an analyst, I love to study and train anyway. This was when I went to India and Africa, and, and, China, and, and I'd lived in Hong Kong anyway, working there and obviously in other financial stuff. So I and I could understand the effectiveness of acupuncture and acupressure because I'd had it. I didn't understand how it worked, but it worked. So I then got into the study of what we really are, who we really are, how we heal and why we don't. So we're not just physical. We're not just flesh. Obviously, we are aware that we have our emotions. We have our thought forms. We have DNA. We have RNA and we have cellular memory. Now, this is all for real fact. On top of that, we have this energy anatomy that interrelates and interacts with the physical body, which are chakras, meridians and subtle bodies. The Indians and the Chinese have been way ahead of us for centuries on medicine. For example, in China for many years, medics were only paid if all their patients were healthy. Now, being ex-corporate intelligence for the pharmaceutical industry, I know 
how the pharmaceutical industry works. You do not make money off healthy people, full stop. So also, I know all healing fundamentally comes from within. We need external treatment often to enable us to recover. And I'm fully, fully into integrated medicine. We need all of it. We need surgery. We need drugs. We need all of the stuff that is proven to work naturally. And we need the right protocol to enable that person to recover or horse because everyone is unique. Everyone's uh, experience in life is unique to them. And trauma is a huge number for every single one of us because everything we've ever thought, felt, experienced or lived is embedded in our consciousness, in our subconscious, our consciousness and in our cellular memory. We also have many elements to our own soul, to our um, being, from the saboteur to the critic, to the judge, to the inner child. And all of this is partly Jungian analysis, but it's for real. In the work I've done with everyone, with humans, I mean, thousands of cases in the last 20 years, I've never told anyone anything they don't deep down already know. It's just a question of whether or not you want to deal with it and you want to acknowledge it and you want to change it. That's where it comes from within. I mean, I've had people who've been, you know, diagnosed with cancer, but they're getting more energy from being ill because suddenly, invariably, a big cornerstone of cancer is burnout. Giving too much, receiving too little in many cases. And you're suddenly the centre of attention. I mean, I had this myself. You know, you go from just working all the time and being the giver and being this and da, 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 da. And then suddenly you're the center of attention and everyone's pouring love into you and everyone's pouring energy into you. And it's really lovely. And then there's that issue of, well, God, who am I going to be without this? And also we're taught cancer equals death. You know, it's a lot of it is also to do with belief systems. What we're taught, oh, that this is going to take forever to heal or this, you can't recover from this and this is going to be with you for life which completely bypasses the whole principle that always we regenerate. You know, if you think about it, I mean, unless you're a haemophilia, if you cut yourself, the cut heals. And we've forgotten so much of our truth. We've forgotten so much of what we really are that it usually takes some kind of crisis to give us the opportunity to come back, to actually begin to discover who and what we really are. You know, I work a lot with anxiety and depression and I feel most of that is either we are ignoring what we've really come here to do. A lot of it is trauma based. A lot of it is abuse based, whether it's, you know, childhood stuff or school stuff or adult stuff or relationship stuff. And a lot of it is tied up with in a weird way. We end up kind of like safe in that space. We may not like it but it's safe because we know it. And our fear of the unknown can often stop us from actually stepping out and becoming more of who and what we wish to be. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, a client, a human client of mine years ago, she was a very high powered editor, but she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. We got her through and she made a full recovery and her dream that she, what she really wanted to be was a gardener. But she couldn't see how she could have a lifestyle and make money from being a gardener to keep her in, and her horse in the style that she had from being an editor. 
So I worked with her through the transition and a great uh, friend of mine happens to be a massively huge international designer said, look, can you help her? So anyway, cut a long story short, within a year, she had her own amazing gardening practice. And yeah. it's this, we're given our dreams, we're given our dreams for a reason. And not, the universe doesn't try and punk us. It wants us to be happy and to make our dreams come true. We're the only ones who stop it. Yeah. And I, and I absolutely love what you were saying there about sometimes it takes something to happen to make us stop and think. And, you know, right, we're day one of a UK lockdown again now. Mm. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of triggering going on right now in people. There's a lot of anger. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, and you and I, I know, are just trying to help people navigate through that in what we do. And so tell us your thoughts on, you know, what this is probably triggering for people at the moment, you know, what what people have got to face. Because, I mean, I did a live this morning about decision. And it's like, you know, the the thing you know deep down you've got to do is, is, is the thing you're not doing because it's hard because there's all this belief and fear yeah. and, and fears are just beliefs, you know, whether you... You know, you, you people will say, no, 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 they're real. It's like, no, they're not, because it's not actually happening. They're in the future, you know. So you've got to make decisions. Yeah. Tell absolutely. us more. Okay. So for me, personally, I see lockdown as an amazing opportunity to go within, to use it as a, a wonderful gift to begin to explore what is really going on inside you. The, the, First step is the scariest because we all tend to be really frightened on, on some level on what goes on in our heads and the fear of actually turning and facing our stuff from the self-negation to the denial to whatever the story may be. Now, to put it into context, you know, I'm I'm an I'm also, you know, an ex-codependent. I've been through you know, tra massive trauma in my life and abusive relationships and all of that stuff, because that's what enables me to do, to be as good as I can be in my work. So facing, turning and facing yourself, that's the hardest thing. Once you do it, it is a gift because once you start to clear all of the conditioned stuff and the experiential stuff, you begin to dig deeper into your essential truth and the extraordinary magic and gifts that are waiting there for you. And to me, it's like the art of becoming your own best friend because we tend to mostly be our own worst enemy. So learning, and I, I for this, I use a loads of different really easy tools from breathing exercises, simple yoga exercises, nothing too demanding. Because we tend to like go, oh, right, okay, I've got to sort my shit out. And then see it like, you know, a mountain to climb and set ourselves to two demanding goals. So for me, it's like step one, do one simple gentle breathing exercise because our breath helps us center. It helps the head settle because particularly at the moment with a whole lockdown thing of, oh, my God, how am I going to live? And what am I going to do? And, what, you know, and all that churning around not helped by the media, not helped by all of that stuff, which is designed to spread fear. So for me, first breathe. Do a really simple, gentle breathing exercise. 
which will just begin to calm you down and center you. We have all the answers within ourselves, but we have all been trained to look outside rather than inside. Breathing exercise, then simple, begin a simple meditation practice. I'm very happy to provide advice on this. Then do some gentle exercise. Being in nature is an absolute vital part of enabling us to stay grounded and, and relax. We're all allowed still to take exercise, so go for a walk. Being in nature, go for a walk. If you've got access to like a river or the sea, go and be with the sea or the water because we're mostly water. Get out. doesn't matter what the weather's doing. You can get out in it because there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just inappropriate wear clothes. Do something every day for yourself, no matter how small. Like, for example, if you've got a drawer of crap that you know that's needed sorting for ages, do it. The reward you get from simple, gentle, little steps is incrementally enormous. Treat yourself to some um, self-healing books. There are actually some good ones. A lot of them just make me want to, just are so irritating and they're so patronising. But there are actually some good ones and I'm very happy to put a fact sheet together for Jenny for anyone who is, who is interested. Equally, if you need help, I have made availability to take on more people at this time because I know how hard it is, particularly if you're in a relationship that's that's got issues, particularly if you've got children, you know, the, the, the stress and the pressure to try and do everything and be everything is monumental, particularly if you've got family members with you. And then it's even more important to honour self-care. I would also look at cutting, if you can, drink more water. Try not to overdo the caffeine because that jitters us up. Look at what how you can eat healthily. Look at other things. Begin to listen to things like, what would you really like to do? You know, would you like to listen to music? Would you like to write a journal? Would you like to learn a language? You know, the great thing about this is there's also millions, well, not millions, but thousands of free programs online that have been made available for us. Do you want to do a course in something? Again, so many options available. Really give yourself the opportunity to look at, okay, how can I use this that's going to be of benefit to me. And that's not being selfish. It's about actually putting your own self, honoring yourself. And there's that old expression of, you know, if your cup's empty, you can't be of benefit to anyone else. So what can you do that's going to replenish you, that's going to fulfill you, that's going to give you soul food? And I don't necessarily mean eat a pack of biscuits. That's momentary pleasure, but then you feel sick and that's not so good though tempting it may be, you know, same with drink. It's great. You have a bottle of wine and then you feel like crap. So, and it lowers your immune system and it lowers, but I don't mean don't do it, just moderation. But look more at what brings you joy. Think about back to when you were a, a child or a, a teenager. What did you love to do? What would you have loved to have done? It's never too late. For as long as you have breath, 
it is not too late. Age doesn't mean a thing. As I said, the woman who I just talked about, who had been the editor changing to the gardener, she was then in her late 40s, early 50s. So don't let age be an obstacle. And also that fear of failure or the fear of, oh, well, you know what, maybe maybe it's just a, a dream, you know, it's not really meant to happen. For sure, we're going to fail. Every time you start something new, you will fail. You know, that's just a fact of life. But failure is a learning curve. And the more you do, the more you practice, the better you get. And that is uh, that is just how it is. And embracing failure enables us to learn. You know, if we're too proud to learn, then, then we're stuck. We're stuck and we're not going to move anywhere. So that's what I'm doing. This is I'm using this for me. I'll talk about me personally. For me, this lockdown is going to give me the opportunity to, to get back in my own yoga practice. I miss my yoga because... I get up really early, I do my horse, I walk my dog, and then I'm with clients most of the day. And then by the evening, when I go back and do the horse, if my groom's not, you know, if, I, if I've got time to, then I, like all of us, will normally come up with an excuse of, I'm too tired, it's too late. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm using this as an because I'm an ex-yoga teacher, so I'm using this opportunity to, I found an amazing program that I really like the idea of. So I'm going to use this as I did the last lockdown, a chance to do more yoga, more meditation and build that into my practice because I'm still seeing my clients, my human clients, because I'm blessed that we can work online. And it's actually I've discovered is as effective as it is seeing people face to face. In fact, even more so, it seems I'm able to get deeper into what's really going on inside. So also have a look at the opportunity to begin to discover what are your governing beliefs what what aspects of you are influencing your day-to-day life that are stopping you from enjoying being you now invariably we're talking here about the inner critic the self-saboteur the i'm not good enough of the imposter spring to mind the imposter is one i get all the time when people are like oh imposter syndrome you know well i I don't know i shouldn't i shouldn't really be doing this level i shouldn't really be be riding this horse this horse is too good for me you know that kind of that's 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 what i get which is you know part of the critic and things but absolutely carry on sorry i just had to add that one in (laughs) i had that for years as you can imagine because not coming from a medical background, man, I didn't even get a science O level. You know, I couldn't even do biology at school. I was, you know, I just, well, I hated school anyway, but that's by the by. So, yeah, for years I had the imposter syndrome. And I've been, you know, I pitched up in these incredibly high-powered yards, you know, treating you know, a horse that had been written off by the vets that I was called in an event horse that then went on to win WEG. And, you know, to pitching up there going, you know, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I'm just, you know. <laughs> it took me and it was for me experiential and it was only after about 12 13 14 years of relentless consistent cases and success and of course there have been cases that haven't been successful but thankfully they've been the very very small minority so for me imposter syndrome isn't there so much now for me what I'm working on still is my self-belief 
you know, who am I to think I deserve to be happy and successful and la 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 and all of that stuff. I'm working on that one. I'm working on receiving because I'm your classic empath and healer. So which means give, 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 receive. No, 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 no. You know, no, 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 no. And I'm slowly learning how to receive from the universe, how to allow myself to be supported emotionally, how to let people in. Because I had a big issue with, um, you know, when you come from a corporate background, you know, your ability to trust people is zero because it's all about backstabbing. And I was moving in very um, high flying circles where it's all based on competition and judgment and who are you to think you're any good and all that stuff and you can never be too beautiful or too thin I'm you know so bulimia was part of it as well and and you know a lot of alcohol a lot of drugs and all that crazy stuff and so I reached a point where I've been backstabbed one too many times and I just walked away from the whole thing and I walked away from everybody because it was like I prefer to actually be on my own than be surrounded by bitching, backstabbing, vicious bullshit ever again in my life. And I then read an amazing book called Facing Codependency by Pia Melody. And she's like the godmother of the whole issue of codependency, which I'd never heard of. And I was like, well, what the hell is that? Anyway, I was with a, one of my only real friends. And this book was in his bookcase. And I was like, oh, I think I need to read that. And he went, you so do. So I was like, all right, okay, then. He was like, you can have it. I was like, all right, okay, thanks. And every page of that book was uh, one of those kind of like, you know, ding-dong moments. And I was just like, oh, God, okay. So I was shown how I've never had healthy boundaries, always pleasing, you know, keep everyone happy. But you know, no, you're the, like the bottom of the heap. Always saving the world. I'd set up a foundation that saved a big chunk of the Pacific Rim Amazonian rainforest and you know, always on call, work first, everything else, you know, way down the line. So for me, this is about, again, still working on valuing myself, still working on honouring myself, my needs, even beginning you know, to discover what they really are, feeding myself with positive uh, input, looking after myself, valuing who I am, not simply because of my work, but just as a human being. And when you are a high achiever, you th the reason you're a high achiever is because you don't truly value yourself. You feel your only justified existence is because of your proven track record. So, you know, if this any of this applies to you, give yourself permission to step back in love and wisdom and begin to value who you are simply for the fact that you exist. And that's because we all tend to be judged in our society by material value. Like, you know, what have you contributed? You know, who are you? And if you are not like some resounding global international phenomenon, you think you're not good enough or you're not enough or you're a failure. And I think this is absolutely terrible. You know, you don't see horses operating like that. You know, you don't see like, I know, because the yards that I have been associated with, you know, you have a derby winner standing next to a horse who isn't. And the, the horse that isn't derby doesn't, the, 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 there's none of that. Like, oh, I'm a derby winner. You know, all of that stuff. I think that's probably why I love Company of Horses. And the pressures were put under socially as well, you know, and by society that you've got to be this and you've got to look like this and you've got to be like this. All of which creates a massive separation between who, because we're constantly being taught to find fault rather than support ourselves. 
that doesn't mean to say you have to turn into an egotistical narcissistic nightmare that's the that's like the other extreme but there is the concept of healthy narcissism which means learning how to value and appreciate who you are as a being and that i think is one of the biggest steps that as humanity we need to take and especially as women because you know men I work with a lot of men too, and their own their stuff is as insane and as mad as what we as women have to deal with, and hence the fact that you know then one the number one killer of men in the West or in the first world countries is suicide. You know we need to really recognise the horrors of what men are going through too. It's you know we're all in this together, and it's looking at how can we utilize this time of introspection to enable ourselves to learn more about who we are and how to live happily in our skins i think that's it really and obviously i'm here to help i'm here to support uh, you yeah yeah sorry i was just making a note of something then and you stopped and i was like Oh, yes, right, because I was just so with you on that. It was just brilliant. I was just following along like, yes, 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 100%. Yes, brilliant, yes. Okay, so let's have a little look then at the equine world. And I don't mean the horses themselves because they're cool. Like, they don't have these problems. They are the ultimate present beings. Mm. There's no ego. A horse does not stand in its field and think, why have I not yet won the Olympics? You know, that they're, they're not bothered by it, but we are, and... You know, okay, some of it's conditioning, some of it's what we're rewarded for in society, particularly in education. It's no wonder we have the the, the fixed. So what you were talking about was growth mindset completely about learning and mistakes. And we have the fixed mindset because actually if we look at our schooling system, we are we are rewarded for doing well, not for trying. We're never rewarded for effort. We're, you know, look at our competition system in the horse world. We're rewarded with prize money. We're rewarded with rosettes. We're rewarded with kudos, whatever it is, sponsorship deals, that kind of thing, for the results that we get. Yeah. Not for, well done, you rode that horse brilliantly, or what a lovely partnership, or, you know, gosh, haven't you done amazingly to rehab that horse from what it was, or, you know, well done you because you enjoyed it. And but not just that, the level of backstabbing and bitching. Yes. Well, that's what I was going to get onto next. How do we navigate that? Because of because of it, you know, the mindsets that it, that go on because they just do. Like you know, we can't we can't boil the ocean here. We can we can just work with ourselves and those closest to us and those that come to us for help with this. How do we, how do we navigate the fact that you know out there is a bitching backstabbing system because it's developed because of the way that people are rewarded and and mm. what people need and want from from our from our riding world i mean i think it's a, I think it's a really good question and I, I feel this is one of the reasons why there is such a huge issue of mental health in the equine world because of the way i mean i can speak of my own experience so as a junior i did i was i was i was very blessed to have an incredible pony and we were very successful and that was why i ended up being sent to lars and yogi but it, what was extraordinary was why I was sent there was we had won this huge show jumping into pony pony club thing. And I was sent to Coventry by 90 kids and all the teachers because we weren't supposed to win it. 
And my father happened to be there, who was an amazing, oh, he was an incredible man and an amazing horseman too. And um, he just watched what happened and he went, right, that's it. We're pulling you out of this number. And Bubbles can have some time off and you're going to go to uh, Lars and Yogi for the season. So I did. And that's where I really learned to ride. But they really, they were exceptional, you know, because when you're when you're being trained at that level, Olympic level, and you're jumping badminton and burly fences in their training field, and you are being put through a most phenomenal training system and interval training and balance and all the rest of it. There was no bitching there. It was about enabling you to be the best rider you could be so you could compete successfully at five-star and Olympic level. And what I've discovered is that the really the highest level, there's very little bullshit except in certain worlds. I mean, I can't reveal certain stuff, but what I saw in some of the top-level world, not eventing, but others, was so appalling, so appalling. And this is what can happen and I'm seeing it now in the young event horse world of making four-year-olds, you know, burly four-year-olds and stuff. You know, horses don't develop until they're older. And the I think partly it's financial and partly it's the human ego. This desire to make something of yourself, the desire to, you know, whatever, win badminton, win burly. I mean, for me, it was always the pleasure of just, getting round quite frankly and ride the joy of riding the horse when I then went to Henry's his attitude was completely different it was the art of the horse and I was taught a very different way of working with horses which was through vision and feeling and that took me into a whole other world with Lusitano Stallions on how we connect how we relate and it completely changed my ethos from being hardcore competition to actually know what is in the highest and best good for the horse? You know, so, um, and I've seen this in the world, you know, in competing in, and also my work, that it's like, okay, this horse actually doesn't want to do the job. And it's having the grace and the mindset to be able to go, okay, this horse isn't doesn't want to do this. What do they want to do? Do they just want to be a field ornament? What brings them joy? And it's about putting the horse first, not your ego. And I do feel it's beginning to change in the last 20 years. I have seen changing changes taking place at all levels in horsemanship and opening up to a different approach. In terms of how does one deal with it on a personal basis, stand in your power you know if you're if all you want to do is play with your pony or horse on the ground and pootle along and maybe just walk them out in hand or even just groom them you don't want to ride that is absolutely fine it's about you know your relationship with your horse is about what brings you and the horse joy and if that's the level at which you are happy to operate, no one has the right to judge or criticise you. They will, whether you do it or not. People will, because when 
you know, we have to deal with what is. And yes, we are changing. And yes, people are evolving, but it's a step-by-step process. If your desire and your you and your horse have an amazing connection and actually you want to compete in dressage, do it. Doesn't matter if you come last, doesn't matter if you come first. Because for me, if you're choosing to compete, it's about the joy of competing, not the desire to win. Because if you're going in at it with, I have to win, you're going to come unstuck. Because horses work through the principle of joy. If you make it fun and you and it's joyful, they will give you everything. If you start drilling them, particularly if it's a mare, if you start drilling them or going, no, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, you're going to end up with a massive battle on your hands. And that's no fun. And also, it's that thing of why put you and your horse under that kind of pressure? If you're a professional rider, it's a different story. They're under such huge pressure from owners, unless they're very blessed to have good sponsorship deals and nice owners, which is more often than not the case. But I feel personally there needs to be an overhaul of on the professional level of how we train horses and at what age we start them. Because I've spent a, I, most a lot of my work is undoing the issues and the shit that the horses are put through, which because they are so sensitive and they're so caring and they will give and give and give. And many people just take, take, take. For example, my mare, her half brother won badminton and burley. She was a very good show jumper in Ireland who, when the economy fell apart, was left to die of starvation in the field because she'd done three legs. So a friend of mine found her and brought her over to England and I got her about a month after she arrived here and she was totally shut down, stick skin and bone and miserable and broken. And it took a long time to get her physically right and then the journey began on getting her emotionally and mentally right. And she is. And I've had her seven years and she's amazing, but I would never put her through competition because her brain was fried. So instead, we poodle. I've taken her up to about advanced medium level, dressage, working at home, and she gives me everything. And then one time we were out hacking and she had an absolute epi fit. Galloped sideways, dropped a shoulder. I was in a dressage saddle. No way was I staying on. And got, you know, obviously held, got back on, took her out, carried on hacking, got back to the yard, and she was so angry. And because I know how to communicate with them, she was just like, well, that's it, you're going to get rid of me now, aren't you? And I was like, no. And, and in my work, the first question every single horse asks is, is this a home for life? Because all they want is a one-on-one relationship for life. They're like dogs, effectively, emotionally. And what they have to cope with of never knowing how long they're going to be with someone. And then, you know, this thing of, oh, the horse can't do what I want it to do. You know, really? So they're moved from pillar to post. They build up more and more stuff. They're rarely listened to. They're rarely acknowledged. There is no such thing as a bad horse. It's a horse that's been traumatized by a human. 
And I would say 98% of horse issues are human related. So it's about also, is this horse right for you? It's about horse rider alignment. It's about correct exercise. You know, it's horses need yoga like we do. It's about enabling them to move properly. Is the, have you riding them in the right bit? Horses don't need to be tied down. Horses don't need draw reins. Horses don't need heavy bitting. I'm not a bitless, bridleless, barefoot girl. I'm I'm an old school girly. You know, I've tried barefoot. My horses don't work barefoot because they they end up there. You know, I've never really seen a really sound barefoot horse. Quite frankly, I think if they are barefoot from birth, that's different because their their feet get really hard anyway. Um, and it's about you know the, the oh behind the vertical. How many horses are behind the vertical, which then leads to physiological issues you know they're they're um the you know the muscular development they're i mean you know i've treated dressage horses you know really stunning dressage horses that are broken because they're started at three i've treated beautiful event horses who are broken because they're made to do too much and they're started too young you know it's 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 horrific yeah absolutely and this is the really incredible part about i hate calling it a sport really um is that you know we have got another sentient being involved who cannot communicate the way that we do Mm. but is trying Mm. and you know it's really interesting what you say a couple of points there one is about it needs to be about what's right for you so most people listening to this are leisure riders They've chosen to do it. They have to earn the money to keep them because they can be super expensive. Yeah. But they are. Yeah, they literally are. Yeah. Um, And, you know, so interestingly enough, the community that I'm literally just about to launch is called Eden, which is the Equine Development and Empowerment Network, because it is about finding your Eden. It's not about peak performance necessarily or, you know, hitting your goals. Or It's about what's your bliss? What is yeah. your bliss? And let's all find that together and your horse. And, you know, my other soapbox is exactly what you said, which is um, we need to assess our goals. So if we are a one horse owner mm. and that horse, for whatever reason, cannot or does not want to do our goal, then we have two choices. We either have to change the goal if that horse is the most important thing to us or we have to find a suitable home for that horse yep. and find the right horse for our goal. Because Absolutely. you do that if you had the wrong car for what you needed or the wrong tennis racket for what you wanted yep. to play with. Or you wouldn't try and play golf with a cricket bat, would you? You know, like, but it, it, is, a, it is a sport, whatever we want to say. But they're, they're a part of it. They're a partnership. You know, we don't all have to be wafting around in, you know, bits of rope and bareless, treeless bitless clueless or anything like that do we if people want to great you know yeah. I, I can be seen wandering around with long ropes and head collars sometimes and you know riding yeah. bitless or the, because yeah. the horse cool. needs it yeah. yeah for sure and it's like you know and and you know for me it's it's what floats your boat and what's right for you and your horse and I, oh jenny i'm so with you on this eden thing you know and it is i think because quite often some of my work involves having to tell people that actually you know what you've got the wrong horse so let's find you the right horse and let's find that horse the right home. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like for me, my girlie, we've gone from her being broken in pieces, brought her back to full power. You know, she loves her work. She loves that concentration scene. So she gives me 20 minutes in the arena because hacking is a bit of a 
mission with her. So we do 20 minutes in the arena and she gives me full concentration. And it is like riding an unexploded volcano, but it does it for me. She doesn't want to compete. I don't want to compete. I don't want to. I couldn't hunt her or do anything cross country, if I, even if I wanted to, because her legs are totaled. You know, it's amazing she's sound. She's now 20. So we don't really do much now. We just, I do a bit of work with her in hand. I am actually thinking about, I think she wants to come back into ridden work again. So I think we'll get back on and kick on again and in due course as and when i have the money i'll look oh she's with me forever you know she's going nowhere but you know my dream would be to get you know a nice slightly less volatile horse because i'm not getting any younger and i think she was my last kind of like major volatile because she's as sharp as they come but i love that and i i can cope with that and it is that thing of you know what brings you joy if you want to do pirelli do pirelli if you want to you know, I don't know, go long trail hacking or you want to train. I mean, you know, there are also some amazing training yards like Talend. You know, it's, you know, it, what 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 floats your boat and what floats your horse's boat? You know, do you want to go team chasing? Do you want to, you know, I mean, there's endless opportunities. But the bottom line is your relationship with your horse on the ground. Because if you and your horse aren't friends, if you haven't got each other's back on the ground and you haven't got that relationship there, then you're not really going to get anywhere. Because for me, it's about your relationship on the ground. So I have a question in regards to that. I'm I just going to be aware you. of time. Can, oh, I can't can you not hear you. You can't hear me. Can you hear me now? I can't hear you. Hmm, that's weird. Sorry, Jenny, I can't hear you. You've gone, you've disappeared somewhere. Can you hear me now? No? I can hear you now. Oh, I don't know what happened because I haven't changed anything, but that doesn't matter. It's all good. I was just I saying, for the purpose of time, um, one question I did have is, and if you can answer this short, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> but let, is how do you know if you're friends with your horse? Because their way of showing affection isn't necessarily what we want. Like, you know, you don't have to be showered with kisses and hugs and all that. You know, that's not necessarily the way of showing affection. How do you know that your horse likes to be around you? How do you know that? Heart, heart connection in a nutshell. Okay, so we have got a little bit of time to tell us what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, I'll use the example of my mare. She is your classic bitch face mare. I know she loves me because I can feel it. So part of my I, the work I do with people and their horses is helping you get into your heart connection with them. So you can really feel what they're feeling and they can feel what you're feeling. And that from there, you really can determine whether or not, one, this horse is right for you, and two, whether you are mates. That's it in a nutshell. Oh, I love that. I'd love to think that my horse and I are mates. We'll see. <laughs> I'll go and ask him. <laughs> oh, he loves you. Yeah, he's my he's, Labrador. He's that's blatantly obvious, Jenny. <laughs> well, sometimes we can't see what's in front of our face, though, can we? Because our own stuff gets in the way. Always. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, is there anything that you would like to sum up with? There have been some lovely comments here. Like, you know, people say, well, I'm loving this. Someone says they've got a, a horse that's listening that really needs you. So we'll make sure that in a minute we share your, your details. Someone else said, yes, 20 minutes. Praise the Lord. Like, you don't have to 
drum them for an hour for goodness sakes you know like god if i'm in a real heavy pilates or yoga session i can't do all of that for an hour we have to vary it we have to do different things come back to do something different in my mind 20 minutes in an arena is equivalent to an hour hour and a half hack Mm. you're dealing with the surface you're dealing with the concentration you know and you're asking them to do an awful lot more particularly I mean, like with me, with my girl, we go into the arena and and we walk once round each and then it's like, because she'll be on the walker before. So mm. she's walked up. It's like straight into stuff because otherwise she's like, oh, can I bump yeah. that? I yeah, yeah, it's like... So it's yeah. right, full focus, you know, yeah. half, half, shoulder in, leg yielding, inverse circles, you know, like really... <laughs> concentration then, stuff yeah yeah like hand stand on one leg pat your head and rub your stomach stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Work, you, know, you know um per- per- pro perceptive pole work you know and then at the end of it she's like <sighs> yeah yeah definitely i have to say i had a lesson the other day with a fantastic trainer and i'm really pleased that i am now going to be working with this trainer because no no um uh, word about any other trainers or anything like that they're all great they're all doing their own thing their own way but i just always had this feeling in the back of my head that I was forcing him to do stuff and I couldn't work out why. And I knew there was this horse in there that had shut down and he'd gone away from it and I couldn't work out why. And then the other day I had this fantastic session with a trainer where we were walk and trot. We did a bit of canter, but mostly it was walk and trot, but it was really what I call therapeutic riding. It was really like he was having to come into his body and work it out. He was really having to think about it. And at no point did he fight or argue. And I came out of that session, he and I were shattered because we had both used our brains and connected in a way that we haven't in such a long time. And I just felt, right, this is this is the person for me because we both came out of it better off. You know, not in a and, and in actual fact we looked the best we'd ever done, actually, as well, to be honest I with you. You looked amazing. Yeah. And this to me is it. If you're having to push or get after or any of that stuff, you're not connected. Mm. And this is mm. what Henry above all trained us was how to get into that real connection and feel and asking the horse, asking the horse, would you like to, you know, shall we move this forward? And, and the joy and the feel you have and the pleasure, because there's no push pull and there's no resistance and the horse isn't going and you're not going, you know, and it's a joy and it's supposed to be a joy. Otherwise, yeah, why are we absolutely. doing this? Why are we burning fifty pound notes every week? Absolutely. Literally. Yeah. No. Completely. Might as well put them on a marquee. It's quicker. <laughs> okay. So to sum up in a nutshell, if anyone needs human help, um, I work purely. Um, everything's bespoke because there is no one size fits all for me. So we go through what are your needs? Where are you now? And where would you like to be? And the sky is, there's no limit, you know. Um, and then we look at how we can get there and, and then we develop a programme and it works on every level, physical, emotional, mental, psychological, nutritional, spiritual and environmental. With horse, we look at what's really going on in the horse. So we do an appraisal. I come out to you for the horse and we do an appraisal. And we look at you and your horse. We look at you. If you're riding, we look at all of it. Ridden, ground, everything. What your concerns are, where you are now, where you would like to be, what's going on, whether it's physical, emotional, again, mental, psychological, nutritional, spiritual, because horses work on all the same levels as we do. 
my job is to enable you to get into right relationship on every level with yourself and your horse, your life, your hopes and your dreams. That's it. Perfect. And we will be inviting you into Eden to share more of that with us for sure. Definitely. I would love to be part. Come to Eden. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much, Julia. It was absolutely enlightening, fascinating, you know, and if anyone's got any questions, how do they get a hold of you? Okay. So the easiest thing um, is by just phone me. I'm here. So my phone number is um, 07391-609-725 or email me. I don't have a website. I've worked only by word of mouth for 20 years. So um, I have written the old article, but that's about it. So my email is simply Julia, J-U-L-I-A, Fairfax, F for Freddie, A-I-R, F-A-X, Fairfax at hotmail.com that's it perfect thank you so much and thank it's just come at the perfect time obviously perfect right timing um for anyone that needs any support yeah really you know because we've got a month and what one can achieve in 28 days or 30 days you know personally professionally horse wise is monumental it's huge and I'm not just saying this, it really can be life-changing. And I my, I can't, I, my greatest joy is enabling people to and horses to reach that joy, as you said, Eden, step into their bliss. And, you know, and anything I can do to help anyone in any way, you know, that's, that's why I'm here. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much, Julia. I think you'll probably be inundated now. Oh, um, Love it. And um, we look forward to hearing more from you and getting you into Eden for some Q&A sessions and some clinics and all sorts of things and uh, And helping people and horses. You know, and your work straight back at you, girl. You know, bless you you for what you do. The horses, thank you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Julia, and we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, have a lovely day, guys. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone.